This reading is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. <coughs> so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you've given us your word and this uh, wonderful story. I pray that as we think about it together, we would hear you speaking to each one of us, and that as a result, we would be changed. Amen. When I was a boy, I, I would love playing games in which I and my friends would get to choose a special power or ability. We would then on, embark on an imaginary adventure fighting baddies and generally saving the world through the use of our ability to fly or turn into a tiger or walk through walls. You get the general idea. I don't tend to play that game very much these days, but I do dabble in a, in a more grown-up version. The power that I have chosen and by which I am able to influence, have influence in the world and, and even make a living is the power of healing. In my other life, I work as a GP. Admittedly, this particular chosen power isn't quite as dramatic as being able to stretch your body into any shape you like or jump over buildings. And rather than being effortless, it does require careful application of hard-won knowledge of anatomy, physiology, etc., and heavy reliance on the pharmaceutical industry and learned colleagues. But just imagine if I was a healer like Jesus, able to restore someone to perfect health instantaneously and with a word, whatever the condition, however dire, however long they had been suffering from it, I would, in a matter of no time, be the most famous and most popular person on the planet, rich beyond my wildest dreams. Move over, Lady Gaga. And as we think about this famous gospel episode together, I'd like us to think about Jesus' power. Jesus' power. 
In order to do so, we're going to focus on three surprising features of this story. A surprising arrival, a surprising angle, and a surprising assertion. A surprising arrival, a surprising angle, and a surprising assertion. Each of these three relate to different aspects of Jesus' ministry. The first, then, is the surprising arrival, which relates to Jesus' power to heal. Well, we live in a society which is obsessed with health and aging. Disease and death are, it seems, the final enemies of humanity to be defeated. And we're doing our darndest to get them licked. Spending on health across the world is the equivalent of well over four trillion US dollars each year. Yes, that's four trillion. There is little that is so important to us as our own health and that of our families. Perfect health and freedom from the ravages of sickness and aging is the holy grail for humanity, the ultimate prize that's been pursued for as long as humans have been around. It's no surprise then that Jesus was as popular as he was. According to the verse just before our reading, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Of course they would. Even without the help of radio, television, or Twitter, news about Jesus spread quickly. It's no surprise that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee where he based much of his ministry, he was soon surrounded. The the healer had come to town And chaotic scenes ensued. Well, I have to admit um, that reading about this uh, popular venue with long queues outside, a crush inside, vandalism of property and a paralytic sounds rather like a nightclub in 21st century Oxford. But first century Israel wasn't so different. Paralysis is as much a problem today as it was then reading of this paralyzed man, I'm I'm curious about all sorts of things, and I I wonder whether he'd been that way from birth, or perhaps it was the result of an accident or a stroke. Well, we know very little about the man, other than the fact that he had good friends, good friends who were so committed to him as to carry him to the place that they heard Jesus would be, in the hope that he would be healed. So convinced were they of Jesus' ability to do for their friend what they were so desperate for, that they wouldn't let the small matter of a massive crowd engulfing their hoped-for destination put them off. Having explored the options for getting in, no doubt, one of them must have come up with a harebrained scheme of making a hole through the roof. Genius. Well, working as a GP, the usual experience is to have your patient come to you up the corridor and through the doorway, sometimes accompanied, sometimes in a wheelchair. Any other mode of arrival would qualify as unexpected. To arrive through a custom-made hole in the roof certainly qualifies as surprising. In the houses of the time, the flat roof would have been accessible by an outside staircase, and it would have been used for working and sleeping. It would have been pretty solid in construction, therefore, and made of wooden beams or branches thatched with rush and daubed with mud. According to Mark's vivid description, the determined men unroofed the roof, literally, digging out the material in what must have been a major demolition job. Just imagine what it must have been like inside the house as the noisy and dangerous activity went on overhead. The bemused inhabitants no doubt being showered with dust and dirt as they tried to listen to what Jesus was saying. 
And what a sight it must have been, as daylight appeared, followed by faces peering in, and then the mat-like stretcher precariously being lowered to the ground. The poor man on that swaying, tilting stretcher must have been terrified. Quite a surprise arrival then for those inside the house. But possibly even more surprising than that was what happened next. A surprising angle, which relates to Jesus' power to forgive. The man's friends had had confidence that Jesus would meet their friend's deepest need. And they clearly thought that his deepest need was for healing. Everyone expected Jesus to heal the man, but he didn't. Well, at least not the way they thought he was going to, at least to start with. Instead, Jesus said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, in saying this, Jesus was effectively identifying not the physical healing, but forgiveness of his sins to be the man's greatest need. Jesus came to bring life in its fullness and came to bring wholeness to people, not just healing of a physical infirmity. Jesus' holistic view means that he's not just concerned with physical health, but with spiritual health too. Not just with physical, but with spiritual health. Not only that, but it seems that Jesus ranks spiritual health above physical. Both sin and disease are harmful and destructive to human life, clearly. But sin is even more dangerous than disease. It's easy to lose sight of spiritual health in our physically health-obsessed, materialistic society where our worth is measured by the stuff we have and where we pour ourselves out to maintain a certain standard of living. But to do so is a bit like worrying about how your house will be decorated but not caring about its structural integrity. Imagine obsessing about what wallpaper to choose to get when the wall itself is falling in. Or what style of curtains when the glass, window glass itself, is shattered. For we're not simply our bodies, the sum of our parts, which incidentally boils down to, literally, the equivalent of one bucket of water, eight bars of soap, a nail, and the head of a matchstick. We are beings that are both physical and spiritual, and the health of each aspect is important. Physical health. Physical health determines how we and our bodies interact with the physical world and other physical beings. We are all affected to varying degrees by poor physical health, whether through infection, injury, or the deterioration of age. Poor physical health impacts our ability to move about, to look after and protect ourselves, to do a job and care for others. Our physical frailty and infirmity, vulnerability to disease, accident and aging, ultimately and invariably lead to physical death. Spiritual health determines how we interact with God, with whom we are made to have a relationship. We are all affected to varying degrees by poor spiritual health, since we have all turned away from God, rebels against our loving Heavenly Father. Poor spiritual health affects our ability to relate to God, affects our ability to hear His voice and follow His guidance. A spiritually diseased state ultimately and inevitably leads to spiritual death. It's the greatest need of each of us to be reconciled to God, greater even than to be physically well. It's why Jesus says he came. The world is temporary. Spiritual things are eternal. Our physical health determines what happens to us over 60, 80, 100 possibly years. Our spiritual health 
determines what happens to us for eternity. Whenever Jesus healed people, his miracles always served to show something deeper. They were signposts to spiritual realities. They were, according to Charles Cranfield, sacraments of forgiveness. Sacraments of forgiveness. The paralyzed man was in a pitiful state, ravaged by disease and helpless. His physical predicament illustrated vividly the spiritual plight of all humans who were in need of restoration to spiritual health and vitality. Jesus' miracles of healings show that sin is like a sickness and forgiveness is like having your spiritual health restored. And this type of restoration is something that can only be achieved by coming to Jesus in faith. Since Jesus is the one with, both, with power both to heal and to forgive. And this point leads us to the third surprise in our story. A surprising assertion. A surprising assertion that Jesus makes about his authority and power to act as God. The power to act as God. Jesus, having identified the man's greatest need to be forgiven of his sins, takes it upon himself to grant that forgiveness. Well, this caused the religious experts present to be outraged, since they understood that this was tantamount to claiming to be God. Well, think of it this way. Suppose I were to come down these steps, carefully avoiding the large body of water over there, walk across to some random member of the congregation, you know who you are, and without warning, deliver a hefty bop on your nose. It would, um, yes, okay, I might be overcome with remorse, I may not, but if I was, if I was overcome with remorse, I might ask your forgiveness. That would be the right thing to do. It would, however, be quite wrong for me to turn to someone else altogether and ask them to forgive me. Since I bopped you on the nose, you need to forgive me. We can only be forgiven by the person that we have sinned against. And ultimately, any sin we commit is against God the creator and author of the moral law. God is the only one who can really forgive sin. So credit where credit's due, the teachers of the law were spot on. And this was the first of many claims, both implicit and explicit, that Jesus made to deity, claiming the prerogatives of God himself. We don't have time to investigate those other claims today, but we will come across them in future sermons on Mark's gospel. And Jesus didn't just claim to be able to forgive sins. He backed up this otherwise unprovable claim to God's authority by the, with the concrete demonstration of the raising up of that paralyzed man. Jesus, in verse 10, refers to himself as the Son of Man. This was a clear reference to a prophecy in Daniel 7, verse 13, if you want to look it up later, of a messianic figure given God's authority to be exercised over all the earth. Jesus, in making the surprising assertion that he could forgive sins and making the clear reference to this Daniel prophecy, is claiming that he has the power to act as God, with God's authority and power. It was this that gave him the power to heal and the power to forgive. In conclusion, Jesus is the one who has power to raise up the fallen. He has power to raise up the physically fallen, in other words, the sick, like the paralyzed man there on his sick mat. He also has the power to raise up the spiritually fallen, 
those in need of God's forgiveness. And that includes everyone here. We all need forgiveness for things we've done, whether small or large. God can forgive us. But Jesus, being the one who himself was raised up in his resurrection from the dead, also has power to raise up those who have fallen in death. As uh, today we remember those who have died fighting for our country, we must also remember those who have died trusting in Christ and trusting that Christ will one day raise them up to eternal life since he has the power to do that. The friends of the paralyzed man came to Jesus in faith, boldly expecting that Jesus would meet their friend's deepest need. And that need was not simply for healing, but for forgiveness and for spiritual life. Not only was he raised up from his sick mat, he was raised up and restored to a relationship with God. And he, with all those who trust in Jesus, was to look forward to being raised to eternal life at the end of time. Will you come to Jesus, the one with power to raise the fallen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you that when we fall, that our lot is not a hopeless one. Thank you, Lord, that you have power to heal, not just physically, but spiritually. And that having the authority and power of God, you are the one who can give life itself and raise up those fallen in death. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful hope. I pray that you would give us the faith that we need to be able to approach you and to gain for ourselves those wonderful benefits. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Amen.